0: everyone. And uh, uh, good to be with you. And uh, it's nice to get out of Norwich. A warm welcome to you if you're here and online, wherever you're listening from, from a sofa or you could be outside having a walk watching this, I guess, couldn't you? Um, so anyway, it's good to be with you. And greetings from Norwich. It's nice to get out. It's nice to drive down. It feels like, you know, I said earlier, coming out, like a, a, trip, a holiday, just driving out of the city. You know, it's like, wow, there is an outside world there out from where we live. Um, so if you've got a Bible and, uh, which would be great if you do have one, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 16 and, um, we're going to read a bit from there in just a moment. And I want to focus on some words of Jesus in Matthew 16 and, uh, the, the words I'm going to read kind of come at quite a turning point in the gospel, the story of Jesus. If you've ever read the gospels, um, and, uh, it's, it's where Jesus starts to talk about going to Jerusalem. And in verse 21, he actually says, from the, it said, well, Matthew says, from that time, Jesus started to say that I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer under the authorities, under the religious authorities, and so on. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised again from the dead. Jesus starts talking in that way. There's a direction of travel that changes from that point in the gospel. So this turning point in chapter 16. So the kind of question is, well, why does it say from that time? From what time and why? Why this sudden shift in the story and focus and so on? And um, I want to read from chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. And so, right, read along. I've got a New American Standard Bible, if it sounds a bit different to the version you might be reading. It says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father who's in heaven, And I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. We'll stop there. This turning point in the gospel, and I want to focus on these words of Jesus, I will build my church. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word church. Um, Whether you're here, maybe you're a guest, maybe you're new to church, maybe it's your first time gathering like this, or looking in online, a friend may have given you a link or something and you, you just sort of dialed in. Um, I know I certainly had an opinion about church before I became a Christian. At the age of 25, I'm nearly 30 now, and uh, don't so loud, Alister. And uh, I, I, had a, I had a view that the church was not relevant to my life, and that was probably putting it sort of nicely. Um, and so I don't know what you think about church, but Jesus said He's going to build this thing called church. And so what did he mean by it? What was he aiming at by it? What was he looking for? Is it, what, what was in Jesus' mind when he said that? I'll build my church. What was he envisioning? What do you envision when you think about church? Now to kind of steer us through this, I want to uh, give some building analogies if you like. We've been having some building work next door in our house Um, For quite a few years now, they've been building a new load of houses on what was a lovely field. My office used to overlook this lovely kind of field of poppies in the summer, now it overlooks other houses. Um, But it's great, it's people, and and we love them. (laughs) Um, But there's a few things I've noticed and observed over um, the the years um, watching these builders. And the first thing is this, a few things around building. Okay, If you're going to build something, if you're going to build something, you need an architect that helps. Okay, You've got someone who knows what they're doing. An architect, the the arc word there means chief, a chief builder, someone who's got the big picture in sight, someone who knows what they're building and what it's going to look like when it is built. And Jesus says here that he is the architect of the church, if you like. I will build. Not just anyone, but Jesus will build his church. So, who does Jesus think he was? Well, he, he says, you know, who, who do people say the Son of Man is? In verse thirteen, and, and he's referring there. You know, uh, he, he refers himself as Son of Man and so on. So, this figure in Daniel and so on in the Old Testament. Well, who do people say? And who? You know, and and maybe sort of pointing to himself. there, who are people saying that they think I am? And people start to reply to him different things, as we'll see. They say John the Baptist or Elijah and so on. But who do you say Jesus is? And If we broadened it to our culture, what does our culture say about Jesus, about who they say Jesus is? And there's probably a million and one views on who Jesus is. He's a good man. He was a teacher. He didn't really exist. He's a myth. He was a good regular bloke, but actually a load of myth has been built up around him. Or one place I read that Jesus was an alien. And Jesus drops this question. Um, in Caesarea that we just read in verse 13 it's in Caesarea well Caesarea was the, the center of uh, my understanding of the, the worship of the um, god god pan god of nature and also Caesarea the clues in Caesar um, it was a place where there was this, apparently this 22 meter high sort of temple that was built to the glory of Caesar and Rome and these, these powerful I mean Rome was a meant serious business It was a massive empire and so on. And it looked like it had such kind of strength and glory and power. And it's against this backdrop of sort of the goddess, the God Pan and and Caesar and worshipping Caesar as Lord and things like that. That Jesus drops this question. Who is he? Who do people say? And it's the same in our culture. The, 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 The question comes, well, who is this Jesus? Who do people say he is? And the backdrop of all sorts of different worldviews and ideas about reality and and the universe and and, and whether God exists or God doesn't exist or different types of gods and you've got you go on YouTube and you get, you'll, get, you'll get every view kind of put forward on there by various people. And Russell Brand seems to be doing a pretty good job of amalgamating them all together into a good podcast and a YouTube watch and so on. Uh, and he gets different people kind of speaking on different things. You've got the, uh, the, the, the new atheist saying, oh, there's no God in arguing against that. And you've got um, Russell Brand doing his stuff, like I said. You've got this um, whole thing of um, the law of attraction and um, if you've never heard of that, it's come out in a book called The Secret, and the um, singer who, who, who represented um, the UK in Eurovision. Anyone watch Eurovision? Just a couple of hands, I don't want to admit it publicly. Um, but he ended up getting no points, didn't he, um, the, the representative of Britain? But he tweeted before he went on, it was that something like, the law of attraction got me here. And so if all of you apply that enough, maybe I'll kind of get, get a point or two. Uh, you know, I, felt, I really did feel for him, actually. But but the point is this: is this stuff is out there, and then Jesus kind of cuts through the middle of it and claims an exclusivity and a, a kind of the um, a lordship above those things. We sing it as Christians: a name above all names. It's against that backdrop that Jesus asks the questions: Who do you say he is? And then in verse 15, he nails it in a little bit more. He, he takes it from the general kind of into the personal where he says, but who do you say I am? Not who do your friends say I am, not who does some YouTuber or, or, or politician or your parents or a teacher or a friend or whatever say I am. But who do you say Jesus is? How would you answer that question? You don't have to answer it out loud. But how would you answer that question? Because everything flows from that place. And actually, it's not just um, Christians that, that know that to be true. There are um, some who are non-Christian who have said that, actually, I want to know, if, if, if Jesus was raised from the dead, it changes everything. It really is the most, in fact, a Professor Joad, atheist Professor Joad said, the most important question in the world is, did Jesus rise from the dead? That's an atheist saying that. He recognized the importance of the question. And I love it that Jesus doesn't kind of put pressure on the disciples when he's with them either. He's, they've been with Jesus quite a long time now. And he's not being at every kind of turn of the, you know, walking, who do you say I am? Have you got it right yet? Have you, you know, he's not putting that pressure on. He seems to give them space and time to to hang out with him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to hear, to digest what he's saying. And it's really important in church life that we have that kind of culture where people can feel they're looking in and they don't feel like they're being overly pressured or whatever, but they've got room to hear who Jesus is. And, And if you're in that place, I would encourage you, take a look at Jesus. Read the gospel stories for yourself. Um, ask, grapple with these, you know, talk about it with friends, you know, in, life groups or, whatever, or groups or whatever, discuss these things. But take a look at him, take your time, observe who he is, question it, it really matters what the answer is. And then Peter, Peter's, I think he's my favourite disciple, um, to be honest. Uh, I kind of feel like I relate to him uh, in, in many ways. And, uh, and in verse 16, he says to Peter, who do you say I am, Peter? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. The, 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 you're the son of God. This is who you are. It talks about Jesus' unique relationship with the Father, the, the, the Messiah. He's, he's, he's the, you're the promised one of the scriptures of the Old Testament. We, you know, the Old Testament wasn't the Old Testament. It was the only thing they had. And so it was, the, 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 it was God's word. It was this promised one where Israel, the people of God, had been chosen to represent God and how they sort of did well for a bit and then failed and did well for a bit and failed. And it was like, well, God's going to come and do something in and through these people. But he was going to bring one who would do it um, completely and fulfill everything. And Jesus was the promised one who would come, the one who would um, deliver people out of slavery ultimately um, that's what the gospel's all about and into the promises of God and uh, so he says you're the one and I like the way that one commentator puts it he says in English Peter's saying this you're the answer you're the point the last word the meaning you're it it's like yeah Jesus you're it <laughs> and uh, so who do you say he is? Is that Jesus for you? Is is He's the one, actually? Even when I'm struggling, even when I'm grappling with doubts, and you know, I've been through seasons like that in my own life, where I'm just just grappling with doubts of things, and I've had to come back to that place that disciples do when when He gives that teaching about if you don't feed off My body and drink My blood, and it says some other disciples um, left Him; they stopped walking with Jesus. They stopped walking with Him, and He turns to the disciples, "Are you going to go as well, lads?" And they're like, where else do we go? You're the one. You've got the words of life, of eternal life. I really don't know where else to go, quite frankly. Do I drill back into myself and see I've got the answers within? Do I start putting my trust in other people? Because that's ultimately what we do. It's not what you believe, ultimately. It's who do you believe? And I think that's true for everyone. It's not just what do I believe in sort of in these, It's who do I believe? Who, who said those words that I'm putting my trust in? Yeah? So who do we ultimately believe? Do we believe this one who was dismissed as crazy by his family, condemned as a criminal by his enemies, deserted and denied by his friends, that he is the one who said, I can, I've come to bring you back to God. I've come to seek out that which is lost and restore you back to the Father. That's what he's come to do. And then he said he's going to take these people that through his death and his resurrection, he's going to bring into relationship with the Father then bring into relationship with one another. He's going to build a community. We'll get to that in a minute. And Jesus said, I will build it. Not I might do it. Not I'll do it if I feel like it. There's a, there's a promise in here that God is going to do something. Jesus is going to do something. He's the architect, the chief builder. So the first thing we need is an architect, and it's Jesus. The second thing we need, if we're going to build, you've got to be alive. In my observations at the building site next door, one of the things I noticed, none of the builders were dead. So it's straightforward. It's not a zombie kind of, you know, zombies wandering around or whatever. They were alive. And if you're going to build something, you've got to be alive. And this is foundational to the Christian message. Jesus says in verse 21 of this passage that I must suffer and be killed. He is going to die. He went to the cross. He was crucified. And again, well attested by not just Christian historians, but non-Christian historians as well. Jesus really was crucified under Pontius Pilate. It happened. He was killed. He was dead. And there's no coming back, is there? And the disciples scatter. And they run and it seems like this thing that was being built has just gone and it's a load of rubble on the ground all of a sudden. He's dead. It's true, isn't it? The people are looking for answers to death. You know, the problem of death in our culture. In all sorts of ways, it's why we pump, pump millions into the NHS, actually. If we want to we stay alive longer. We don't want to die. So we want to avoid it. And uh, I've been doing a little reading around uh, artificial intelligence recently, trying to get my head around some things. So reading, and this is one called To Be a Machine. And uh, the subtitle is Adventures Among Cyborgs, Utopians, Hackers, and the Futurists Who Are Solving the Modest Problem of Death. They're trying to do it, and there's a whole chapter of it in there with Google and what they're trying to do and all the rest of it. Not just preserving life a little bit longer, but actually solving the problem of death and decay. But it's a deeper problem than just technical. There's a deeper problem going on that Jesus speaks about. And it required a far more radical solution than plugging our brains into a computer and uploading them and all sorts of other things. And Jesus says he'll die but be raised to death. The resurrection is God's answer to death. And it is foundational to Christianity. Paul says that our faith is futile. It's empty. There's no solidity to it. There's no kind of... Uh, it's not a solid deal if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. It falls apart completely. It's totally foundational. But you've got to be alive if you're going to build. And, 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 and after the resurrection, you see Jesus, as it were, scatter, um, gathering these scattered ruins of the disciples lives and suddenly he's drawing a community together so if you're going to build you need an architect if you're going to build you need to be alive if you're going to build you need a foundation he says on this rock well what rock well peter petros is what the word means It's what peter means rock so what does he mean when he says he's going to build on peter is it literally on the person of peter that peter is now the new jesus sort of thing he's my replacement is it the, it's the confession of Peter, what he says about Jesus, that you're Messiah, that you're Son of God? I like the phrase that I came across, it's on the pointing Peter. It's on the Peter that has believed the message of Jesus, put his trust in Jesus, and now points others to that as well and declares that message about who Jesus is. Um, so it's kind of, it is him, because God uses people, but it's where he's pointing towards that really matters. And he points to Jesus, and you see that in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, as Peter stands up and preaches. And he starts to tell people about Jesus. On on this rock, I'll build my church. And suddenly, this community starts getting built. But Jesus is the foundation. He's the head of the church. He's the brains of the operation. He's the foundation. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that. As a builder, Paul says, I laid a foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ, He's the cornerstone. And uh, that's why we make a big deal about Jesus. That's why um, in Colossians it says that let the message of Christ dwell richly among you. Uh, it's kind of make its home among you. That in, in, in what is sung, in what is said, in what is prayed, in words of songs, in what is preached, it's Jesus. Uh, I've quite frankly got nothing more to say than other about who Jesus is. And, uh, you know, it, it, we want him to do, hit the message of who he is to dwell richly in our, in our gatherings together whether that's in a life group or a small group whatever you call them here or a Sunday morning or whatever we make a big deal about Jesus Christ centeredness I believe is the uh, key to healthy church life because Christ takes us to the Father if you've seen me you've seen the Father what's the Holy Spirit oh, just like me that's what Jesus said we focus on Christ and he brings us to the Father by the Holy Spirit and poured out the Spirit in our lives and, and actually says in it's the Acts, somewhere that it talks about the Spirit of Christ. So, you've got this beautiful deal with the Trinity there that we start to understand more as we look at Jesus. And that's why we take communion. That's why we're going to do that a little bit later on. Let this story of what God has done in Jesus dwell richly among us. It's not, it doesn't matter. You know, church life isn't built around gifted leaders, as, as wonderful as, you know, these guys are and as good looking as they are. It doesn't matter. They're, 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 they're human beings. And, and, and we don't build. Church life around leaders like that. We build it around Christ. They shepherd you. But Jesus is the shepherd. So if we're going to build, you need a foundation. That's Jesus. And make sure he's the foundation of your life. If you're going to build, you need materials. Uh, you know, living stones is what we are, the Bible says. And it's people like Peter. And this really encourages me. I don't know about you. But this really encourages me. That God takes... Look at who, who, who Jesus chose as the disciples. I mean, just spend a bit of time doing a bit of like reading around what they were like. And that encourages me because they weren't all sorted and got it all buttoned up and all the rest of it. Peter here, who's just, he's had a successful moment. (laughs) Hey, I got it right. Jesus, Messiah, son of God. Pat on the back from Jesus. Hey, lads, (laughs) look at me. A few verses on, what happens? Jesus starts talking about suffering and being killed. And Peter's like, well, I don't like that. And I don't know if that fits with my theology <laughs> and what I was hoping for with the Messiah. And so maybe he's starting to think that way a little bit. And so he does the clever thing of pulling Jesus aside and saying, little word in your ear, Jesus, um, about this sort of dying and suffering stuff. No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. Do you, and what does, Pete, what does Jesus say to Peter next? Get behind me. Satan. What? what this is the rock. This is, you know, he, he builds your church, you know. It's like, come on. And then he fails. This is, what, this is the material that God takes hold of and changes. And sometimes it's actually through our, it's when we fail, we get to the end of ourselves. And we learn how much more amazing the grace of God is, actually, and how much more patient and wonderfully forgiving and gracious and merciful God is, that that grace changes us even more so. And uh, there's a reason that Jesus said, when you pray, pray, forgive us, because we fail." And thankfully, that wasn't the end of the story for Peter. If you know the end of the story where Jesus comes to him and restores him, it's just beautiful. He doesn't give him an ear bashing. Say, you idiot, what did you think you were doing? Look at you, you're in big mouth. You keep opening it, you keep failing. You've now denied me as well and said you didn't know me when you said you'd follow me to my death. And how does Jesus approach him? With such grace. And often it is only when we come to the end of ourselves and to the bottom of ourselves, that we really open ourselves up to the amazing grace of God. I really felt, you know, and, and then we're all called to play our part, we're all materials. I just felt these words in the worship, I don't know if it's someone here or online or something like that, but just these words, don't write yourself off. Don't write yourself off. Because of many things you've done. Don't write yourself off. So if you're going to build, you need an architect. If you're going to need build, you need to be alive. If you're going to build, you need a foundation. If you're going to build, you need materials, and that's people like you and me. We're weak, we're flawed, we mess up. But by God's grace, we're changed and we start to walk differently and live differently. If you're going to build, it's going to get tested. These buildings that are being put up next door on these foundations, wind is going to blow, rain is going to come down, storms are going to come, the building's going to get tested. And Jesus encourages the disciples in this verse. He said, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The early church faced serious opposition to their faith, when they started following Jesus. There was external opposition. There was also internal challenges in the church as well. And Jesus the gates of Hades will not overpower. What, what are the gates are? Well, gates are a kind of imagery of strength, aren't they? You have gates on a city. Um, and it's a sense of the gates of death, the gates of Hades, that when you went through these gates, as it were there, were, there was no coming back. You ain't gonna get back through them again. And Jesus is saying, well, actually, because of his death and his resurrection, That there is a way back, as it were, that nothing in this world or the next can overthrow the church. Empires come and gone. The Roman Empire, Caesarea, where that building is, this magnificent display of the glory of Rome and the empire of Rome. And where's it now? It's gone. When attempts are made to stamp out the church, if you look through history and even today, whether it's in China or Middle East and other places, the gospel still spreads. The church is still being built because Jesus said he'll build his church. A global pandemic will not stop the church. I read some articles or one article particularly that said that, you know, is the church going to be able to survive this? <laughs> I think just please read a bit of history and then read the Bible <laughs> and read what it actually says. Of course it is. And it's not just going to survive it. Do we believe that? We get through these things by the skin of our teeth. (laughs) No, Jesus said he's going to build it. It's a supernatural deal. It's not down to human effort, the church. It's not the deal. So global pandemic won't stop it. And testing will come as Christians in our lives personally as well to stand up for truth, to stand up for what we think the Bible actually says about things in our culture that our culture doesn't like. There's a prayer that Os Guinness Um, he's a writer that I came across that helped me, he said, Lord, help me to be faithful, not fashionable help me to be faithful, not fashionable not just go along with the fashions of the world because we're going to get tested, buildings get tested so finally if you're going to build, it needs to become visible next door, we've got people moved in got some lovely next door neighbours you see, you know, removal vans coming up in the place and all the rest of it if someone said they're going to build something, if some architect said, I've got these grand plans and I'm going to build this amazing cathedral, this amazing building or something like that, and then 5, 10, 20, 30 years later, you're like, well, where's the, where's the building you said you're going to build? You don't even put any foundations in. you kind of lose faith, wouldn't you, in, in that architect? You Sack him. I'd suggest don't wait 30 years, but sack him. Well, Jesus says he's the architect. He will build his church. Well, is there any evidence of that? Well in my deep research on Google to see how many churches there were in the world. I took the first one that came up. It says there's approximately 37 million churches in the world today. Billions of people. There's total visibility of the church throughout history. In every culture. The Bible, the most... You know, sold book in the world and the most translated book in the world and so on and so forth. Is that evident? Yes, there is. And it's in these concrete, local expressions of ordinary men and women who have um, put their trust in Jesus and believe, yeah, as crazy as it might sound, I think Jesus is the one. I think he is the way. I think he is the truth. I think he is the life. I think that somehow through his death on the cross, I am forgiven. I am made right with God. I think Yes, I believe that and have put their trust in him, are being built together as living stones. The church, the dwelling place of God is what it says. Into these, And, and, and we're just ordinary. And from, what I love about the church as well is the different people you get. Some of the things I, I pray sometimes when I'm with people is I thank God that I know them. And the only reason I know them is because of Jesus. And they're from utterly different backgrounds. I love it when I see people serving in the church like that. You've got someone like Don who comes from a, um, his background messed up in all sorts of ways and he's serving next to a consultant of whatever it is in medicine and the two of them are friends and I think the only reason you know each other and probably would have ever spoken to each other is because of Jesus. And that's the beauty of the church. It becomes visible. And, And if you were asked the question, because I'm asked this sometimes as a church leader, I'm asked, well, how is your church doing? How's it doing? And I think behind that, sometimes in some contexts, what people are really asking is, How many people did you have on a Sunday? Like that's the litmus test of healthy church life. And I've learned to answer the question. I thought, I want to answer it honestly, with integrity. And my answer is generally just, Yeah, do you know what? I think people are loving one another. I can see that in their lives, the way that they're loving each other, bearing with one another in love, growing in love for one another, love for God, love for people. That seems to be the hallmark. That's what Jesus said anyway. (laughs) So I'll take that as the measurement. Are we growing in our love for God and our love for one another? And as people then get added into that, they get built into that, people start to look into church and start to experience those relationships through all the ups and the downs and the messes and the difficulties. Because sometimes in church life, you've got to have tough conversations. You've got to apologise to someone or someone needs to apologise. That's part of family, isn't it? Isn't it? That's what church is family. It's the family of God. Brothers and sisters. Well, Do brothers and sisters ever fall out? Do you ever have arguments with a brother and sister? Well, so sometimes we've got to work out love in that, and as we do that, I do believe with all my heart that actually, as we work through difficult things together and our differences, sometimes I think it deepens, um, it deepens, it enriches, it matures a local church as we work through those things. Too often our culture is, well, I'll go somewhere else, I'll go down the road, I'll go and do, rather than work it through. The gospel allows us and helps us and empowers us to work these things through. That's what it looks like. Love for God, love for others, serving others at cost of self, welcoming the stranger, giving our lives to Jesus, getting on board with what He's doing. And I just want to end with a um, a quote from a chap called J.R. Moringer. He's written a it was a, it's a book called The Tender The Tender Bar, and I think it was a story of him growing up. I can't remember where now, but it caught my attention in as much as what we would want church to be like—a kind of flavour. I would want people to say about church anyway. And he says this, we went there for everything we needed. We went there when we were thirsty, of course, and when we were hungry. And he's talking about a pub, okay, a bar. This is what he's talking about. And when we were dead tired. We went there when we were happy to celebrate. And we went when we were sad to sulk. We went there after weddings and funerals for something to settle our nerves and always for a shot of courage just before. We went there when we didn't know what we needed, hoping someone might tell us. I'd love someone to say that about church. We went there looking for love or for someone who had gone missing because sooner or later everyone turned up. Most of all, we went there when we needed to be found. People want this kind of community. They're looking in all sorts of places. And yet it's a church. That we truly find answers to all of those things in Jesus who said, I will build my church. Oh, I think I'll end there. And I oh, Can I pray? Well, not can I pray. It's, it's weird. Oh, can I pray? Like permissions needed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when we ask someone, do you mind if I, you know. So Shall we stand? I'd like to just pray for us. And then Hugh's going to lead us, I think, in communion in a minute. Yeah, Jesus, I, I thank you so much. That, that, that Becoming part of the church and getting on, we're getting on board with what you are doing, not trying to build a kind of a Tower of Babel, as it were, something in our own abilities to get to God. Rather, out of you coming to us in Christ, we now get on board with what you're doing in the earth in building your church. And we get behind you. Lord, we follow you, we follow after you, and we, uh, we, we live out from that wonderful place of your, your grace to us, just like you showed to Peter, that amazing grace. And we live out from that place as we give ourselves to what you're doing in the earth, as to love one another, serve one another, all the things we might do together. And I pray your blessing on this dear church here in Colchester. We pray coming out and through in this pandemic, Lord, just keep building the church. It's what you're doing. You've been doing it through this season. It's not been on pause You've been building your church, and I just pray that as things, as it were, come out of houses, as it were, and and become visible again in different ways, I just pray, keep keep doing that. Keep working in this church for your glory. Build something wonderfully visible of the gospel for Colchester, that would be a, a city on a hill, but also for wider as well for the nations. Lord, I know that's in their hearts so much, and I pray that in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.